Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. A new generation of drugs designed to treat diabetes and obesity are transforming people's lives, changing medicine, and possibly even changing our culture. This hour, we're going to learn about these drugs and hear first-person accounts about what they're like to take. I'll also talk with doctors who are navigating this new landscape with their patients. My first guest today is Dr. Mara Gordon. She's a family physician and writer based in Philadelphia who recently wrote about how these weight loss drugs are changing her medical practice, a practice that takes a weight-neutral approach. Dr. Gordon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. And I want to start with that idea of taking a weight-neutral approach as a doctor. Can you tell me how you're thinking about talking with your patients about their weight changed over time? The most important thing about being a primary care doctor is um, being a doctor to the person who's right in front of me. Um, but I, a few years ago, um, I would say maybe maybe five years ago or so, um, I started reflecting on how um, ineffective my conversations were with patients about weight loss. Um, and it, it felt like every time I brought up weight loss with my patients, um, it did not help them lose weight and um, actually made them just feel awful. Um, and I could sort of see the shift in the conversation when it was a topic that I started to bring up. Um, I could see that they trusted me less. I saw that they kind of, you know, shrunk away from me, less engaged in their care. Um, and I was, I got interested in this um, it, for some writing I was doing and for some teaching I was doing. And I went to look up sort of the research behind primary care weight loss counseling, right? Like, was there actually any evidence that this was effective? Um, and the short answer is it's not. Um, so basically primary care doctors sort of like suggesting that their patients try to lose weight really has very little research to back it up. Um, it's not really evidence-based medicine. So I wouldn't do this with a medication I prescribed. I wouldn't use a medication that had so little data to back it up. Um, why would I engage in a counseling practice that just doesn't work and might do harm? Um, well, and, and let's talk a little bit more about the the harm, because a, a lot of people who are overweight and have experienced going to their doctors and having these conversations about their weight have written about this, where they feel like the thing that they are struggling with, the thing that is wrong with them is obscured by this concern about their weight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a really, really common refrain I've heard from um, from many of my patients and read um, in reading patient narratives um, in a variety of, you know, online, um, in medical journals um, that people say, you know, I'm here to talk about my, you know, my headaches and all you can do is yell at me to lose weight. Um, and that's not the way I wanted to practice medicine. I, I also want to talk about um, the body mass index. We've all had our BMI calculated when we've gone to the doctor. And that is not a tool that you think is worth using. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I'll say that with a little bit of a caveat. I mean, it, it's complicated. And I think um, sort of at a population level, it, it can be useful. It's just, um, 
it's it's complicated. It was never really designed to sort of assess an individual patient's health. Um, yeah, BMI was developed by a Belgian astronomer in the 19th century, and he was really obsessed with finding the average man or defining the average man. And that should raise some red flags. I mean, that that sounds disturbingly similar to some other sort of concerning uh racialized medicine that my field has in its dark history. Um, And I was just so shocked to realize that something that is just bread and butter in medical school, um, in our electronic medical record, um, really was just developed by this guy who was really, really interested in, um, you know, the perfect Belgian man. So when you shifted your approach to be weight neutral, how did you see that benefiting your patients? I have noticed a huge change. Um, I think it's been really, really positive. And I, uh, I've i had a lot of patients sort of proactively tell me that they really, really appreciate me not focusing too much on their weight and instead trying to find more rigorous metrics to evaluate their health and well-being. And um, especially with teens, too, I find a lot of teenagers find it really, really helpful because it's just such a um, such an intense period of, of life for, for all of us. Um, and so uh, to focus away from such a stigmatizing um, and uh, not particularly effective, you know, topic of conversation has been really, really positive. And now we do know that um, being overweight has a, a lot of impact on a lot of different areas of our health and well-being, or at least is in concert with other elements of our health and well-being. So tell me more about these these other ways to measure our health and well-being that, that you feel are more accurate and more insightful. Yeah. So um, I... I basically have taken the approach where I um, basically I, I just don't look at the number on the scale for my patients. Um, many of my patients bring it up and they want to talk about it, which of course is, you know, totally fine and their decision. Um, but I like to focus instead on uh, metrics that I think are more rigorous. So blood pressure, that's something we check every time you come into my office. Um insulin resistance or a proxy for it, which is something called hemoglobin A1C, um, which is sort of a measure of blood sugar over time um, and is related to diabetes. Um, Those are two that I use pretty regularly to um, assess um, somebody's risk for for disease and for bad outcomes. Um, Also, mood is really important. That's something that, um, you know, we screen for depression when patients come into the office. And that's something that I think is really, really important to discuss and really related to somebody's overall health. Uh, Joint pain is another uh, topic that we can focus on that uh, I think my patients really appreciate if we sort of zone in on the joint pain, sort of like agnostic about weight. Um, So if we talk about uh, tools to address somebody's knee pain, um, that's not just like you know, lose 15 pounds because of course they've thought of that and of course they've tried and it's really, really hard to do that. So um, I, I like to focus on um, what the what the medical issue is as opposed to BMI. Okay. So 
now along come these drugs. How has that changed your practice? Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, a lot. Um, I mean, they are effective. And um, so, you know, I believe first and foremost in bodily autonomy, right? My, My goal is to help my patients achieve their goals. So when I have patients who come in asking for these medications, um, I don't think it's particularly therapeutic for me to withhold them because it doesn't align with my body neutral ethos, right? Um, So just because I don't think weight loss is the full story um, doesn't mean that my patients don't live in a really fat phobic society where they encounter a lot of harm when they live in bigger bodies. And so, you know, their decision to pursue one of these medications, if if it's medically appropriate and medically safe for them, then I I do prescribe them. Um, I will say that there's like a lot of inequality. Um, Medicaid in New Jersey does not cover it for patients who don't have a diabetes diagnosis. So what's happening in practice is that a lot of my wealthier patients with private insurance um, are able to access it and poor people can't. So we know that weight is not the be all and end all of health. We know that it's possible to be thin, but also to be unhealthy in many ways. But removing that frustration of weight loss from the equation does seem like it it could really make it a lot easier for people to pursue fitness goals and, and other health goals. How do you see it working in practice? I have patients who live in really small bodies um, who have really severe diabetes um, and have a lot of complications from their diabetes. I have patients who live in pretty large bodies who go to CrossFit all the time and have perfect blood pressure and no evidence of um, you know glucose intolerance. Um, and their bodies are just bigger. Um, so I, I think everybody's really, really different and it's hard to generalize. Um, I do think that, yeah, I think for some patients, um, weight loss can help them get more active. And I, I do think that exercise is great. Um, and just as a brief aside, I'll say, um, you know, I think exercise can be so wrapped up in diet culture for so many mm-hmm. people that I care for, um, that it's hard to even talk about exercise without it immediately going to weight loss, like suffering at the gym, like, you know, just the sort of really negative culture around exercise. So that's something I really work to sort of unpack and unravel with my patients. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think exercise is great. Um, moving your body is great. Um, does it need to result in weight loss for it to be good for you? Absolutely not. Um, And yeah, I have seen some patients who lose weight and they find it easier to get active. Um, I see some patients lose weight and they get really depressed um, Mm. and then it's hard to exercise. So I just think, I think everybody's different. My goal is to try to get to know the person in front of me and try to figure out what their individual goals are and, and how I can support them. You have seen such positive results with your weight neutral approach. Do you worry that these drugs could be one more factor that could really get in the way of really understanding a patient's needs? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I I um I do worry that it really drives a wedge between doctor and patient to focus on weight. Um it's such a stigmatizing topic. Our society is so hateful to fat people and, you know, there's a multi-billion dollar 
diet industry that thrives off of fat phobia, um, focusing so much on, on such a stigmatizing topic with our patients can really, really decrease patients' trust. Dr. Mara Gordon, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for your interest in this topic. I really appreciate it. Dr. Mara Gordon is a family physician and writer based in Philadelphia who has recently written about how these weight loss drugs are changing her medical practice, a practice that takes a weight-neutral approach. In a moment, I'll talk with Jen Rouse, who's been taking Manjaro for about 18 months to help manage type 2 diabetes, about her personal experience. And then Dr. Katie White of the Weight Management Clinic at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics will be here. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about a new class of drugs that's designed to treat diabetes and obesity and health conditions that often go along with obesity. In a few minutes, Dr. Catherine White, Clinical Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, will be here. But first, we wanted to know what it's actually like to take one of these drugs. Jen Rouse is director for the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cornell College in Mount Vernon. And just about 18 months ago, she started taking Manjaro to treat her type 2 diabetes. Manjaro is a terzepatide. Another terzepatide sold as Zepbound has now been approved as a drug to treat obesity. Jen, thank you so much for being here. It's always a delight to see you. And it's really kind of you to share your experiences. I know this is something a lot of people have a lot of curiosity about. Uh, let's go back to, to before mm-hmm. you were prescribed this. How long had you been living with type 2 diabetes? Um, not very long at all. So um, just a little bit before I decided to take the medication. Um, during the pandemic, um, I picked up some extra weight. I, there was always a weight that I knew that I couldn't cross over or I would be categorized as, as diabetic, right? So I kind of walked that line, like, here's the weight that I have to be or else. Right. And um, I hit that point where it was or else, and I started to feel terrible. I had awful headaches. My blood pressure was off the charts. I really didn't want to admit that something was happening in my body. I'm like, oof, this is a huge failure on my part, right? I I can't control this anymore. And I had always been able to, up to a point, lose about 30 pounds with ease, right? Like if I just, you know, pulled myself up by my by the bootstraps and 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 did that work and portion controlled my food and you know went back on noom or you know whatever it was at the time i've always liked to be physically active obviously it's easier when i'm not in that mindset of complete and utter panic but i kind of hit that panic state and um we tried some things and then my doctor said what about what about this and i said Whew, okay, this is going to be hard for me to accept that that I'm going to do this, but 
but yeah, I can't feel like this anymore. My brain needs a bath. I I need a little help. Right. Your family mem- members need you. Yep, absolutely. And Jen, you and I are about the same age. Yep. So you mentioned the pandemic, which a lot of us put on some weight yep. during the pandemic. But also, we are in a time of life where a lot of things are changing absolutely. for us. And do you feel like perimenopause was a factor? It was, right? So again, couldn't lose that 30 pounds. I had always been able right. Your body to was do. just responding it, it was in a just different like, way. Nope, not going to happen. Stress, perimenopause. You just, I just was unable. It didn't matter, right? And I had always, you know, kind of lived in this larger body. And there's, you know, always been this kind of shame associated with that, right? Like I can remember being five in kindergarten. The teacher pulled out the tumbling mat. I couldn't turn a somersault. Everybody in the room, you know, erupted with laughter. And from that moment on, you know, that really defined who I was in my body, you know, someone to be laughed at, somebody to be mocked, somebody who, you know, was going to feel that shame about my body. And so then when I hit that point where I really, really felt like I couldn't control, you know, my weight anymore, I, I was helpless. I really needed somebody to to kind of talk to me about a path forward that I hadn't heard before. <laughs> right, right. And, and wasn't, hadn't been available right. as well. Yep. So, being prescribed this medication, I mean, obviously, uh, there are a lot of things to consider beyond your health. And I do want to talk about some of the, the mental health factors right. of this as well. When you were prescribed Manjaro and and were given that first injection, mm-hmm. what did that feel like? So it was a low a low dose. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going on this adventure. I'm going to be pretty open-minded about it. We'll see what happens. I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty tough, right? You know, like... <laughs> If there's some side effects, I'm going to I'm going to stick them out for a little right. bit. I'm going to try to get through this if I feel kind of yuck, whatever. And I did. You know, I, you know, I had I was prescribed the five milligrams. Um, a lot of people start at two point five, which I, for the most part, I've heard you don't really feel anything at all. Right. And so you jump up rather quickly to the five. There is some nausea. The um, hunger regulating hormones that it triggers kick in pretty fast. Right. So not really being very hungry, not responding to those voices in my head like, ooh, let's reward ourselves with this today. Let's, you know, if you get through this, you can have, you know, the donut or right, right. <laughs> kind of that that behavior that had been a part of my life for a long time. It quieted those voices in my head quite a bit, even it at five milligrams. It sounds like you felt sick. I did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some nausea, you know, diarrhea. If you overeat, you know, absolutely those kinds of things kick in right away. And so, you know, I ate much less very early on and probably lost about 40 pounds within three, three and a half months. Wow. Very fast. As time went on, um, what changed? Um, So that kind of worked itself out, but my A1C was not coming down as quickly as both my doctor and I right. thought. And that's that the indicator be, that tells us about type 2 diabetes. Right, exactly, right. right. So I started at an 8, which was ridiculously high for me, right? I had no idea that my A1C was at that level. Um, and so it kind of worked its way down to a 7 on that on that first dose. And so then we tried the dose that I'm on now, which is, is 10 milligrams. And that worked quite well, very quickly. And, you know, after about a year and a few months, my A1C is at a 5. And we're probably going to reduce that dose because I don't need to be at the same level, you know, probably going down to a maintenance dose soon. 
And at the dose change there again, you felt same, sick again. Same, same side how, effects. How, yeah. long, how long did that last, <laughs> that feeling really awful? Oh, I would say maybe for me, you know, about a week. But then occasionally there's a day during a week, even now, right, where I will have an off day or I will feel like, you know, well, maybe I pushed it and ate more than I should have. And, and the medicine actually helps, I think, you know, kind of regulate that right. that fat control. And so it, it needs to leave my body. And it does. <laughs> so you also, of course, had been combating type 2 diabetes, which also makes you feel sick right. a, a lot of the time. So tell me about some of the other physical changes or how you have felt on this medication. So in other ways, though, like like I said, I had had horrible headaches. My blood pressure was high. I was, you know, dizzy. A lot of those things that come along with having type 2 diabetes gone, right? Really just gone. I am, I'm, I was feeling so much better. A friend of mine suggested also, you know, we're in our 50s, want to get stronger, want to do better by our bodies, want to go into the next, you know, 20 years ready, ready to rock. And so <laughs> she's like, let's join Orange Theory. And I'm like, you must be crazy. I am not going to put this body in a gym ever, right? Because that's just that shame that I live with, right? right? Like, I'm not going to put myself out there for people to make fun of. That little kid who couldn't turn a somersault can't go to a gym and do exercises. Can't. She's like, yeah, 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 you can. So you're going to go with us and we're going to try this. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm deep breathing through this, you know, remembering that I do like physical activity. I actually do work out at home. I like to jog, things like that. And so we show up and, you know, this really lovely community of folks welcomes us in and and I learned to modify and do exercises that I can for my body at that size. And now, you know, almost a year later, it's one of my favorite things to do. Really love love it, enjoy it. I had a lot of loose skin because I, I um, lost a lot of weight very quickly. And so this is helping with, you know, some of that, a lot of strength, you know, just feeling a lot better about myself and, and how I'm going into the, the next 20 years of my life. So... As far as taking this drug, tell me what the procedure is, because you, you get regular injections, right? right? So I give myself a shot once a week on the same day every week. It really doesn't bother me. You know, I don't think much about it. I honestly hate taking pills more than I hate taking this shot. It's easy. It's quick. I don't think much about it. You know, I don't have a, you know, a, 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 a days of the week, you know, pill pack that right. I have to think right. about and fill and remember and, you know, which I would be terrible at and would absolutely forget and, you know, it, w- it would not work. So, and often I react differently to um, medication in pill form. I had tried a few medications like metformin, um, things like that, that my body really, really hated and for longer, almost on a daily basis. So this has actually worked out much better for me. How has your relationship with food changed? Um like I said, I don't think about food as much in the same ways as I as I had before, which was often as a comfort, as a reward, which many of us do, I think, mm-hmm. especially those of us who've, who've lived in large bodies for a long time, you know, or that I don't deserve food, right? You know, I, you know, in a smaller body, you walk into a restaurant and people don't stare at you like you don't deserve, you know, food, which honestly, I have walked into a restaurant and people have looked at me like, man, you know, you shouldn't go back for seconds. You most certainly shouldn't be at a buffet. You mo- you know, the, right. all of those things happen to people in large bodies. So, you know, it's just nice to to feel 
comfort around food that I haven't felt in a long time. You are also an accomplished cook and baker. I love to cook. I still love food. (laughs) Food is an art. Food brings people together. You know, there's so much that's wonderful about food. It's never been about, you know, thinking that I don't at, at this point, you know, I don't want to stop doing those things and I don't want to stop sharing those things. But, you know, I I obviously don't need or think about eating as much as I did before and on the medication that I can't and I don't. We just uh, came through a food centric holiday. Yep. Was that comfortable to, to go through a holiday where everything is so focused on food? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I cooked what I love. I ate what I wanted. It's not as ridiculous as, you know, kind of Hollywood media portrayal of this drug is, right? You know, like I didn't lick a spoon and I was like, oh, you know, head back, like I can't touch another thing. That's not true, right? (laughs) And I ate a lot of my very favorite things and maybe I staggered those throughout the day versus, you know, a heaping pile of food in front of me at one time. But yeah. So you've talked a lot about the the stigma of being overweight, mm-hmm. and you are also a, a very accomplished professional person. You've dealt with this in a lot of ways over the years. You've thought about it <laughs> intellectually in a lot of ways over the years. You've raised a very confident child. How are you feeling now? I'm sure a lot of people compliment you, talk to you about your body now in a different way. Absolutely. How are you feeling? I have to stop and and tell myself, you know, they're doing it out of a place of of goodness, out of encouragement, out of pride for the most part, right? Then there's the other part of you that thinks, oh my goodness, how have you really thought about me for the Mm. last however long you've known me, right? And so I have to kind of push that back a little bit. But most certainly, I believe that no one really has the right to comment on your body. And to lead with that in every conversation has been exhausting my whole life, right? And so even though it's it's polite and it's, you know, from a, a well-meaning place, sometimes it's just still the thing that I wish you could, like, tuck back, tuck away for a minute. Let's talk about something else right. when you first see me. It doesn't really need to be about this for me. <laughs> and now I've hit another place where where folks, again, well-meaning people that I love are like, wow, do you think you've gone too far? Mm. Your face is looking a little gaunt, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, really? We're going to have this conversation now? I've had the other conversation my whole life. Do we have to do this one too? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> but you are... You are so physically fit right now. You're so strong. Does that help? In what way? In help, does it help in, in navigating this new space? Because you have put in all of right. this work. Sure. You're in great, you know, cardiovascular yeah. health. Yeah. Is there a pride that you can take in that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I am proud of what I'm what I'm doing. I'm you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, I've had some mental health struggles. I've thought a lot about that over the years. I've put my physical health kind of to the back burner because of, of those issues. They probably should have been worked out in tandem, and that would have been a lot healthier along the way. But it was just that thing that I couldn't you are take human. on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so just like I said, you know, I was willing to give at one point, you know, my bath a brain with, with some help, you know, mm. from, you know, any anybody who needs some serotonin knows what it's like to, you know, just get that little bit of something that, that helps yeah. you move past something or helps you on a day-to-day basis. And that's what what this does 
does for me and it does let me do some of the things I love like being active being with friends having fun you know in those spaces and and that's really important you you've done so much of the mental health work over the years does this change your personal identity is is that is that difficult? I think I'm in the middle of this right now, to be quite frank. And sometimes when I'm in this body, which is very different, it's 90 pounds lighter. It is, it doesn't feel real sometimes. Like I don't feel that that weight is gone or I will look down at my leg and think, that's not your leg mm-hmm. or nah, you can't do that. You, you know, you're not really that light. You can't go do that run. What are you thinking? You know, like some of that, that, those those messages in my head will play themselves out. And so then I have to have that different kind of behaviors conversation <laughs> with myself, yeah. you know, that I would do for other mental health things that I do, right? Like, ah, you're, you're good, you're fine, you're strong, you're capable, you can do these things. And you are in this body, which is a little bit different than the body that you were in before. Yeah. Both but were fine, still... both were beautiful, but this is where we are, yeah. Jen, thank you so much for being so open with your experience. I, this sounds like a really incredible journey with some incredible challenges along yes. the way. But thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Jen Rouse is director for the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cornell College in Mount Vernon. Our next guest today is Dr. Catherine White, clinical associate professor of internal medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Dr. White, welcome. Good morning. Hi. And uh, we only have a couple of minutes before we take a break here. But you have been, um, you've had a lot of experience in your career working with weight management before these drugs, also after these drugs. I mean, does it feel like we are in a revolutionary moment right now? It's definitely much different than it was when I first started working with patients on weight management. It has the feeling like when you have a big advance in technology and nobody's really ready to know what to do with that technology. And, you know, culturally, we have a lot of work to do, I think, to catch up. But it's absolutely different with these medications than it was with sort of the previous generations of weight management medications that were, frankly, dangerous in a lot of ways, you know, thinking back to FenFen. Um, and so some of the, th- the ways that we've tried to do this in the past that put people at a lot of risk, we're hoping that we have learned from that. Um, But the technology is definitely in front of where we're ready to deal with it, I think, as a culture. (laughs) Well, we will talk about how you're navigating that in just a moment. We also uh, would welcome your stories. If you have experiences with these drugs, positive or negative, we'd love to hear from you. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can also email talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Dr. Catherine White is a clinical associate professor of internal medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics, and we will continue this conversation about this new class of weight loss drugs. New class of drugs, not not just focused on weight loss, but weight loss is certainly a part of the story. Drugs designed to treat people with diabetes and other diseases that often appear along with uh, a person being overweight. So we'll talk more in just a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. 
Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we're talking about a new class of drugs designed to treat diabetes and obesity. And with me now is Dr. Catherine White, Clinical Associate Professor of Internal Medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. And let's talk a little bit about the drugs that, that we are focusing on. We were talking about Manjaro earlier, which is uh, terzepatide. ZepBound has also recently been approved. That one has been approved by the FDA for weight loss specifically, whereas Manjaro is to treat type 2 diabetes, although weight loss is obviously a big part of what happens when you take it. Uh, WeGovy and Ozempic are also names that we hear quite a bit about. Tell me a little bit more about those drugs. So semaglutide, which is the chemical that's in Ozempic and WeGovy, is a medication that's a um, sort of toggles some of the hormonal aspects of metabolism. So the GLP-1 receptor um, is where it works through. And so that helps slow our stomach's emptying. So when we eat, we feel full more quickly. It also raises your insulin levels um, after eating to bring your blood sugar down, which is the reason it works well for diabetes. And it has some other metabolic effects in our brain that lower appetite as well. Um, when terzepatide came out, that is also um, working through that GLP-1 receptor. And it also works through a different receptor, the GIP receptor, which also seems to have sort of uh, uh, augmenting effect. They kind of work together in the brain to help lower appetite. So it seems to be even more powerful in terms of appetite suppression and also has the positive effects on metabolic health, like for diabetes. So both of these drugs are really positive for things like diabetes. And when they use them for that, they saw pretty significant weight loss, which led to separate trials in patients who were not diabetic and showed significant weight loss, which is how they got FDA approved for weight management. As someone who has had a lot of experience um, in weight management as a doctor before and now <laughs> with these drugs, tell me a little bit about what goes through your mind when someone comes to you and they do need to lose weight or they have one of these conditions that losing weight may help with. How do you navigate that? I mean, my experience, I think, in a lot of ways was very similar to what Dr. Gordon was talking about, um, where I think both of us do primary care and, and both of us, it sounds like, had very similar struggles with how do you approach this conversation with patients? How centered should it be in the visit? Um, how important is it to the patient that's sitting in front of you? Um, and I sought out some answers for that. I thought, well, I'll just get more training. It'll be fine. I'll go and <laughs> get certified in obesity medicine. Um, but I think what that's done for me mostly is it's given me a greater appreciation for how complex this topic is. I really think that prior to that, I had a much more simplistic view of how we manage weight and how weight can be manipulated uh, as it relates to health. And I think I've increased in my appreciation of the complexity for the individual patient and then also on the side of weight stigma and how that impacts our patients and every aspect of our culture. So I think it actually created more questions and answers for me. Uh, but I think it's really helped me, I think, more effectively talk with patients about weight in primary care, which it comes up a lot in my primary care practice. And I think I've 
been able to be a little more sophisticated in how I'm talking to people about weight as it fits into the rest of the the big puzzle of their healthcare. Are you having patients come to you saying, I want to take one of these drugs? Absolutely. I think, um, and it's become more, you know, I take care of patients from all over Southeast Iowa and Western Illinois um, who come to us for primary care. And I think that, you know, you've kind of seen it spread out, you know, um, throughout the area. I think the knowledge of particularly when Ozempic came out and that's sort of the shorthand we use for all of these medications right. is Ozempic, right? Whereas that's a, a trade name for a diabetes medication specifically. And so, yeah, we've seen a huge increase in the number of people who are sort of asking whether these medications are appropriate for them. So we've really had to think about how do we answer that question and how do we tailor the answer to the specific patient in front of us. Now, we've talked about the fact that that weight can be something that goes along with a lot of other health issues. Losing weight doesn't automatically make you a healthy person. So how do you have that conversation about, you know, this this is treating one symptom? I think that's that's exactly where you where you started is, you know, thinking about the patient in front of you and all of the things that impact their health, their mental health, their sleep, their stress management, their movement, um, and then the chronic medical conditions that they deal with. Um, which as an internist, we see a lot of patients with, you know, that are pretty medically complex. And so their weight is probably not the number one thing on their list of health concerns day to day. But it's also not reasonable to discount completely how somebody's weight could be making those medical problems more difficult to control, require more medication to control. And so I think you can't completely take it out of the conversation, but it's figuring out how to have the conversation in a way that right sizes the weight management portion of the discussion for what the patient is wanting to talk about. Because I think um, patients who have a lot of weight to lose that may help benefit their medical conditions may not want to have that conversation, may not you know, want to engage with their weight. And that is okay. Like that has to be okay because we need to then focus on, okay, what else can we do? There's other ways that we have to manage blood sugar and blood pressure. And maybe that conversation happens down the road or maybe not at all. But when we continue to hammer at people about their weight and they're not wanting to have that conversation for many reasons that are very reasonable, um, I think we, we lose people. You know, we have people who don't seek care. We have people who don't engage with the healthcare system, and which is super understandable, but also makes it so that we don't have a chance to do preventive care. We don't have a chance to do colon cancer screening. We don't have a chance to do mental health um, treatment that would be really helpful for them. Just because if I insist on talking about their weight at every visit and attributing every symptom to their weight, then I could lose people. And right. that's what I think it's important to try not to do. Well, and there are so many heartbreaking stories about people who live in larger bodies who just can't get a doctor to have these real conversations with them because they can't see past the weight issue. Um, I want to talk a little bit about equity. And and one of our listeners brings this up. Dorothy says, my primary care provider prescribed Ozempic, but my insurance carrier won't cover it, even though labs after a one-month trial indicated a drop in blood sugar and cholesterol for the first time in a decade. This has given me hope but I won't be able to continue if my insurance won't cover the drug. My previous primary care provider didn't ever even mention my weight, even though I've been obese for most of my adult life. I am 61 years old. 
that must be so incredibly frustrating. And it's a story that we hear a lot. Tell me a little bit about navigating insurance because these drugs are expensive. Yeah, they're very expensive, somewhere in the range of $1,000 a month if you're paying out of pocket for both of these medications and sometimes more. Um, There are huge disparities in terms of access to these medications and you know, some people who can afford to pay for some out of pocket will say, well, if I just take three or four months of this, I can afford to do that. And that will get my weight down to where I want to be. And then I'll just maintain it from there, which, uh, as Jen mentioned, there's a, a lot of concern about regain of weight after you go off of these medications. There's good evidence that many people regain a lot of weight and lose the ground that they made up in terms of metabolic health. So that could be a very frustrating contributor to the, like, diet cycle that many patients with obesity have been dealing with their whole life. So we may be making that worse (laughs) with these medications, which is something that we have to grapple with. Um, But I think that we need to catch up in terms of our insurance, our health, particularly employer-provided insurance. I think there's um, some large employers in the state of Iowa who have actively decided not to cover these medications despite how effective they are. And I think a lot of that is rooted in weight stigma, you know, that, well, this is something people just really need to work a lot harder at losing weight. Right. And I mean, not the, a medical issue that this needs is medication. A, it's a revolutionary yeah. medication, but a lot of people think of it as a lifestyle medication, not as a life-saving medication. And I think that we're getting more evidence now that's really going to make that conversation a lot more complicated because this summer there was a published study by the drug company, but a pretty strong study that showed um, a significant decrease in major adverse cardiovascular events with semaglutide. So these medications, I think, are going to start to prove themselves as being heart medications, which we cover with insurance because they're important for heart disease. And so I think it's going to get very interesting when we start to see um, how some people who make decisions about insurance coverage are going to have to address that? Like, are we really going to not cover these medications for patients, even though they've shown that they can have really positive health effects? Are we going to let sort of that weight stigma discussion color our, you know, decision making about other things that we have decided that we value and that we want to cover in terms of insurance? So I think it's going to make the conversation more complicated, um, but potentially might open some doors for people to get more access to these medications. Now, you mentioned the concern about regaining weight if you go off these drugs. These drugs are new. So are are they, when they're prescribed, are they considered to be a lifetime medication? I think we don't know that answer. The answer is we don't know. Um, Right now, you know, because... Semaglutide was approved, FDA approved somewhere around like 2017. So the longest anybody has ever been on these medications is in the single digits of years. So we don't have any idea um, what will happen when somebody is on these for a long time. We think it's probably okay, um, but we don't know. And I think that's one of the things you have to talk about when you're sort of doing some shared decision making about starting these medications is that we truly don't know exactly what we're getting into in terms of long-term use. We don't know what the end point is for these medications. And I don't have any reason to think it's bad, but I also can't tell you that for sure it's safe to be on this for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, And we're going to have to sort of kind of incorporate that information as we get it over time. One of the things that 
is likely contributing to this idea of these drugs as lifestyle medications is that people are also treating them as lifestyle medications. We see people who are getting prescriptions so that they can lose that final 15 pounds, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are using them for cosmetic purposes. How do you feel about that? Um, I think that, you know, I think what Dr. Gordon said about sort of bodily autonomy and autonomy in these decisions, I think a lot like everything else, I think my job is to help people navigate those decisions based on their own values and sort of give them the pros and cons. And if they ask for my recommendation, I'll give that give it to them. But I think it gets really challenging because this brings up conversations about my patients with diabetes who can't get access to semaglutide because it's on shortage, right? They right. can't get the, they physically can't get the medication because it's not available. Um, and I think those are difficult discussions when it comes to supply. Um, and you just can't really take, you can't sort of blank, make a blanket statement about pa- like why patients are using this or what their motivations are because I know everybody has an individual story that you're like, well, okay, I can see why you're motivated to take this medication after hearing that individual story. So I think that's a really challenging question I don't have a good answer for, but I really try to talk through, you know, the pros and cons with patients when they are, when I'm concerned that they're using it from more of a um, a cosmetic standpoint and really screening for disordered eating behaviors and body dysmorphia and mental health things and just making sure that we're clear about what our goals are with the medication. I was just going to ask that because a a lot of people have disordered eating and and that can take a lot of different forms. A lot of people who are overweight have disordered eating. Does that worry you that, that this could be something that people could use to justify, to aid in an eating disorder? I think a little bit like I was saying before, I think that's one of the aspects of this medication and these powerful um, technologies that we need to be mindful of the the things that we could, the unintended consequences of what we think we're doing, you know, right, <laughs> is that I think we need to be better about identifying that patients in all body sizes can have disordered eating behaviors and that if we are at risk for triggering those with these medications, that's something that we really need to be thoughtful about. Um, and so I think that's something that we as a healthcare system and as a medical community need to think about in terms of the downsides of using these medications, you know, because I think there's in the culture, in the cultural conversation, it's like these are all positive, right? They, they help you right. lose weight and there's no downside. But I think we're learning that there are downsides and we need to talk to patients about that so they can make an informed decision. I, I am hearing from listeners. And, and honestly, so far, I've only heard positive stories. Uh, a listener in Cedar Rapids says, I'm on a terzepatide for weight loss. It's been a godsend. I gained weight with menopause and really struggled with body image and willpower. I'm an eater, meaning that I get hungry all the time. I haven't lost gobs of weight, 17 pounds since June, because I still get a little hungry. But my life is no longer ruled by the food voices that ran through my head. I work out and eat a healthy diet as well, so I think I'm acting responsibly. It's gone so well that my 80-year-old dad wants to go on it too. Read between the lines there that disordered eating runs in my family and I've been dieting all of my life. That's so many people have such complicated stories with food, with their weight, with our culture that is so fat phobic and that weight stigma we've been talking about. I, I also 
want to ask about young people, because this is something a lot of young people really struggle with. And so far, we've only really been focusing on people in their 40s and beyond. How do you feel about these drugs for teenagers, for younger people? And that's a a population that I don't take care of because I'm an internist, so I'm an adult doctor. But these medications are FDA approved down to the age of 12 uh, for weight management. And so I think my colleagues um, in family medicine and in pediatrics who are taking care of adolescents, that's a big challenge because that's a very formative time um, for those patients in terms of everything, in terms of their metabolic health, in terms of their approach to eating, in terms of their self-image and their mental health. And I it's it's a fraught conversation with adults who sort of have sort of fully formed self-image. Um, I can't imagine that it's got to be a very challenging conversation. And teenage, I, ha- I have teenagers in my house. <laughs> and so I can imagine that that's a very complicated conversation. And I think it would have to be even more carefully done and talking about the, the pros and cons because we it's been the, these medications have been studied down to that age. But in terms of what that's doing to their future metabolic health, we, we right. don't have answers and for that. And if it's a lifetime, lifelong commitment right. to that drug, mm-hmm. that raises a lot of questions. Exactly. We are out of time, but I have so many more questions, and we have so much left to learn about these drugs. Dr. White, I hope you'll come back again as we learn more. That'd be great. Dr. Catherine White is a clinical associate professor of internal medicine at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. We've been talking about the new classes of weight loss drugs, drugs designed to treat diabetes and to help patients lose weight this hour. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.